because he, he they, there should be like repeated a repeated loop of Emily. <laughs> Obviously, quite the arc. Welcome to Midsummer Maniacs. Hey, Maniacs. This week, Season 2, Episode 3 of Midsummer Murders, Dead Man's Eleven. Dead Man's Eleven. This is Episode 8 of our podcast. I can't believe we're at 8. It's we're, just crazy amazing. We're turning it up to 11. We're turning it up to 11. Dead Man's Eleven. Except, you know, there's like give and take a few players that make it 10, really. We'll get there. Oh, there's a lot of logic problems with this episode. Mm. Just a reminder that if you let your kids watch the show, they're more than welcome to listen to the podcast as well. But if the show is too much for them, maybe the podcast will be also. The Coopers are um, maybe too much for me. The Coopers are problematic and the... Creepy. (laughs) The blood or lack of blood or problems with blood in this episode. There's lots of... I love this episode, but there are problems with this episode. Yes. It was filmed in April and May 1999, which is months after the first episode, the second episode of the series was filmed and broadcast months after. Like last week's episode was broadcast in like April, I think. And this was broadcast in September 1999, eight months later. Well, I know why they had to wait. Why? They had to let Joyce's hair grow out. And Toby had to get in to see somebody for his hair. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they had to they had to bring in a hairdresser stat stat <laughs> this episode had 11.07 million views uh which is 1 million more than the last week and the top rated episode of midsummer murder ever ever as far or as, as I, up to that point no ever as far as i can tell it's not anywhere even close to my top 10 episodes i know but it there must not have been anything else on it that. It was night. the spectacular episode, the most viewed episode of Midsummer Murders when it was originally aired. Directed by Jeremy Silverstone and once again written by Anthony Horowitz. Not based on a book? Nope. Set in Fletcher's Cross. Yes, a new village. Yeah. And the pub in this episode, which features prominently, is the Queen's Arms, which I was thinking today, like the. The sign has the queen with her arms, but I think it's probably arms like, you know, we have swords and stuff arms, but I could be wrong. It could be the queen's elbows. (laughs) The queen's foot. The queen's knees. (laughs) Oh, we start with Sir Percival Prancelot. Well, yes, we do. This awesome story being read to a child. You think it's an awesome story? I think it's it's the lamest fairy tale ever. (laughs) Sir Percival Prancelot? Nobody else was brave enough to go, so he had to do everything. Plus, I think the the child is way too old to be being read to. Yeah. And then she's sick, and then that's completely forgotten completely. Well, she just has a cold or something. I guess. She's not dying of tuberculosis or anything. So they do a juxtaposition here of reading the story of Sir Percival Prancelot, which is a book that they created just for this episode. You looked that up? I did, indeed. I'm glad they made it up. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that somebody who probably did the dragon picture for... Uh, the episode of... The Written in Blood. The Written in Blood episode probably did these 
pictures also. Yeah. Juxtapose that with this scene of a quarry where a worker is trying to blow something up with the worst safety goggles of all time. Like safety goggles they give you in high school you to protect them you. from the middle school science lab. Yes, they're from the middle school science lab. But the detonator wires don't The, the work. plunger does not work. And he said, oh, I... I hate the way he says Frasier because it's Frasier, but he says Frasier. Frasier. <laughs> and so there's a whole kind of the king in the night and the dragon is the explosion. And then boom. And the curtains fly open for some reason. Yeah, well, it's just coincidence. And then we're left with the shot of the dragon. Yeah, on and the floor. Then we do not get... No watercolors. No watercolors. We get the watercolors in the pilot and season two, episodes one and two, and that's it. That may be one of the most obscure Midsummer trivia questions there is. Yeah, that would be a good pub quiz question if it was a Midsummer pub. Yes. (laughs) And there's a cricket game going on in the green. to the cricket. I'm just going to say right off the top... Even though I've watched several videos on how cricket is scored and played, I still really don't understand the game, and we're not going to go into it or why Troy sticks out his tongue and his finger. (laughs) So I I was in Jamaica on a vacation once, and one day it rained all day really hard. And so I sat in a bar having fruity drinks and watching cricket with a couple of people who were from Jamaica, like natives who were from Jamaica. Okay. And they explained cricket to me while I was sitting there because I said, I don't understand this game. They're like, oh, we'll we'll explain it to you. And over the course of about a dozen umbrella drinks, I learned about cricket and I understood it then. (laughs) 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 And now I I don't understand it It, anymore. It's it's like bridge. It's a game in which the rules are made up by the people to confuse the people watching. Yeah. And there's a tea break. There is. There's several tea breaks. Apparently you can go for a snog with your girlfriend. Or, you know, drive off to work or wherever you need to be. Wherever you need to be. So one of the things that I wondered when... Whenever I see cricket, I always wonder why they wear white. And we saw in the last episode in Strangler's Wood, we saw people wearing white at the bowling club, too. Yes. And so I did some research into the white uh, uniforms for cricket. And I'd like to say that what I found helped me understand it more. Well, it's cricket, so it, it does not work that way. The explanation for the uniforms is as elusive as the rules of the game. So the story goes that... The players, originally they just wore whatever, but then they started all wearing white. And the reason they wore white was to reflect the heat. Because, you know, the UK is so hot. Stupid hot in the UK. It may go close to, you know, 25 degrees Celsius. You wear white to reflect the sun so that you can also wear a sweater and not get too hot, apparently. And the sweaters and their caps are wool because wool absorbs the perspiration and doesn't get cold while cotton might absorb it but then gets cold so while you're trying to stay cool wear the wool because it keeps you warm even when it's sweaty and people say my game of hockey is complicated i i looked really hard because i guess originally initially when they the white uniforms were introduced the shirts were a white button-up shirt that had big red polka dots all over them. 
I could not find a photo of those, but I did find quite a bit of documentation about how to get cherry streaks off your pants. So there's a scene in the second game when Troy's playing where he's about to bowl and he rubs the ball on the crotch of his pants. Yeah, uh, I I have a note about that. (laughs) Apparently all the bowlers do it is to clean the ball like you would with a baseball to make sure it's not got dirt on it or anything. But when you do that, the varnish of the ball can stain your pants. And those are cherry stains. They call them cherry stains. Or at least that's what you tell your wife they are. Because it's like a cherry red varnish. I guess. So that's what I know about white cricket uniforms. You know what else is happening while the cricket game is on? There's a storm. The Barnabies are buying a house. Yeah, because Joyce doesn't have enough to do. (laughs) It's all Cully's fault. Scully's fault. Well, so they're going to buy a new house because, you know, they can downsize a little bit because Cully's moving out. She's moving in with Nico in London. And we'll cover that when it comes up. Well, that's the conversation that they have. Well, no, they don't talk about Nico then. That's right. They find they talk about so, that after. So First they go to the, to the Cooper's beautiful thatched cottage. So the Cooper's house is beautiful, but what is inside... Maybe not. <laughs> They're a weird couple. So it's a it's a thatched cottage on a village green. This would be a million dollar house. Yes. Easy. And we meet Christine Cooper, mm. who is better known as Umbridge from Harry Potter. Yeah, it's Imelda Staunton. She played the evil Dolores Umbridge. She's also been married forever to Jim Carter, who plays Carson in Downton Abbey. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, they've been married for a very long time. Oh, that's so nice. They're cute I'm sure together. they're happy. So she clearly puts her face forward by saying it's lovely, the, crick, the sound of the cricket bat. And she knows that if Jesus was to play a sport... It would be cricket. It would be cricket. When she and Colin are born again, so she's got a personal relationship with Jesus. She and has his, a personal relationship with, with his Jesus. His sporting preferences. Uh, then we notice while they're showing the game that the old guy from the car, who we haven't really been introduced to other than he's the king, the boss, is playing cricket. And there's some problem with how they play. Him and a young player get into an argument, basically. Yeah, it's Robert Cavendish and Charlie. Charles Jennings. Christine's husband, Colin, arrives. And they're one of those couples where... The man is very tall and the woman is very short. So I looked up how how tall they were because there's a shot where you're like, whoa, he's gigantic and she's ninja. He is 6'4 and she is 5 feet even. They are 14 inches apart. That would explain it. But boy, they like to get all over each other. (laughs) (laughs) And he says... That he was just down at the church getting it ready for Whit Sunday, which is a name that is used especially in Britain and Ireland throughout the world of Catholic, Anglicans, and Methodists for the Christian festival of Pentecost, the seventh Sunday after Easter. So Easter is usually, let's just take it as the middle of April. Mm-hmm. So that would mean two more weeks in April, the fa- four weeks of May, puts this Pentecost festival usually in the last week of May or the first week of June. Do you remember Whit Sunday when you were at church as a kid? No, I don't. Not at all. So it's not a big thing? No. It's not like Palm Sunday where it's a big thing? It's a celebration, as far as I can tell, that it's seven weeks after Easter. (laughs) That's what they're celebrating. (laughs) Wow, that Easter, seven weeks ago. 
And he works security at Costume Museum. I don't know what's in that museum. <laughs> it should be a murder museum. <laughs> that would make it a lot better. Like the 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 minister's scimitar should be in there. And, <laughs> you know, somebody's head. All the and arrows and the head. The orchid. And, and, yeah. They're going to quit their jobs and do missionary work. That's why they're selling the house. Right. They're going to go to Africa. This incredibly expensive house. How do they get that? Oh, we'll find oh, out. Oh, we'll find out. Yeah. So he's a he's a security guard at the museum, and they're selling the house. And they they ask Tom what he does for a living, and before he can answer, Christine tries to guess, and she says that Are maybe you a he's businessman? a or a civil servant. A civil servant. He says he's a policeman, and all of a sudden they freak. <laughs> like she doesn't hide it very well either. She's like, oh. <laughs> but they do some good acting there. They, yeah, they're they're both very good actors. And Barnaby immediately, as soon as they leaves, calls them barking mad and says they're suspicious. Well, yeah, because they live in a house that they should not be able to afford. Yes, it's just kind of obvious. Off to the Queen's Arms for lunch. Yeah, with Cully. This is where we find out she's moving to London to live with Nico. Okay, now you all know what kind of nerd I am. Hollow Man was broadcast March 19th, 1998. Mm -hmm. And this was broadcast September 12th, 1999, which is 1.4 years <laughs> different, not two years. Kelly says she's been dating Nico for two years. And what about, wasn't she dating Troy in the last episode, possibly? She went out with a policeman. Or maybe Joyce just said that to kind of stab at Tom. And... What about, what's his name, the the play guy who gets shot? Simon with Fletcher. Simon Fletcher. Like, uh... Who she would have been happy to kissy kiss with. I gotta tell you, uh, Nico, maybe there's some stuff going on. Well, it's not like she stays in London for long anyway. No, not at all. So Joyce wants to move to a village. She wants to move out of Coston. Tom's not excited about it. And he says that the country... <laughs> Is full of blackmail, deviancy, suicide, and murder. Murder. And they call him a townie. Like, that's a bad thing. As a proud townie. <laughs> oh. You don't want to be a villager? No. God, no. Blah. So we go from there and we cut to the Cavendishes at the cricket game. We meet Robert Cavendish. Who hits a ball through a window. Yeah. He's played by Robert Hardy, who most people know better as Cornelius Fudge from the Harry Potter movies. Yes. So that's our second, second Harry, Harry Potter. Potter overlap. There are a couple interesting things about Robert Hardy. First of all, he played Winston Churchill six different times. I am not surprised in the least. Really? Because I don't think he looks anything like Winston Churchill. Yeah, but he's kind of like Winston Churchill as an actor guy. Well, just because he's good at playing like uppity-ups and kind no, of being snobby? because he's kind of... Chubby and bald. But he has kind of a pointy nose, and Churchill was a very round man. I and guess so. Anyway, the other interesting thing about Robert Hardy is that he went to Oxford and had two famous professors. One was Tolkien, and the wow. other one was C.S. Lewis. Wow. So That, that kind of dates him a little it, bit. It but, does date him, but yeah. I'm sure he's the talk of when that comes out. Well, and he, he had an uh, not an OBE, but a, a CBE and... For the Queen's birthday, he was on the honored list and got yeah, one of those. He's and very good actor. He's dead now. He but does. He does a great job yeah. in this. Oh, he's and there are lots and lots of interviews with him about how do you feel playing Ponzi asshole characters. Yes, and and he's not. He was not one as a person, but he's very good at playing that role. Speaking of being an asshole, he sure is an asshole to his wife Tara. Oh my gosh! Or Tara is the rest. Not of Not as mean as he is to his. 
daughter-in-law. Well, but... he's he's mean to all of them. He tells Tara to go fix the the problem with the window by throwing money at it. Yeah, so she goes off and meets with the woman we will later find out is Doreen Beavis. Yep. <laughs> That's your Beavis. <laughs> and gives her 20 pounds. For a, for a broken leaded window. It's only one pane. I don't care. It's but it's not enough. Pounds. It's not enough. And Doreen negotiates up to 45 because a vase was broken as well. See, Doreen is great. I like her. She's I, think a- she's, I think she's got a... A stack of spare glass in the back, and she's just pocketing the cash. And I think she says Mrs. Cavendish because she's letting her know, I know exactly how rich you are, yeah. so you can pony up a little another bit more cash. 25 pounds. And it seems like a regular thing that happens, too. That window gets broken. Though I don't think of cricket as a game where the ball really gets out of control all that often. It's not, it's not like, like baseball, baseball where you're hitting home runs. No, yeah, no. You hit a home googly or something. <laughs> a wickety wick or something. <laughs> so, yeah, so Tara goes off to do that. And then we get to meet Stephen, who is Robert's son. And he immediately is like, hey, dad, how about that extra money you were going to give me? Like, this is not the time to ask your dad about a lot. I agree with dad here that this is not the time. Yeah, like, go away. And then Jane... I don't know how I feel about her. Sometimes I feel sorry for her, and other times I think she has exactly what she asks for. So she goes into the cricket pavilion and gets a piece of strawberry cheesecake Mm. and comes out and stands right in front of Robert and Tara as they're trying to watch the cricket game in her big frumpy sweater. Like, who who stands? poke her away. As they should. Yes. She's standing right in front of them. I do like Tara. I do like her. I like Jane. And I'll tell you why when we get to the part where I change my opinion about her. Yeah, because right now it's clear that she's supposed to be a frumpy stress eater. Yep. Basically, because, you know, Tara doesn't eat puddings. So Stephen doesn't get his money. So what does he do? Off to snog the girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> Off to the pub. Which is far enough away he has to drive. I guess. I think it would be right there. When he gets there, that's when we meet Patricia Smith. Who was the Trisha. same person who served the Barnabys. And where are the Barnabys? They're still at the pub. Right. They're at the same pub. Yeah. And that's who Stephen's having an affair so with. So Stephen is 40. The actor is 40 at this time. And Trish looks about 18. Yeah, she does. uh, Well, but you know, that's less of an age difference than his dad and his stepmom. That's true. That is true. Because his dad's 60 and his stepmom's 38. But I can't snog you tonight because I have to go to my dad's birthday. (laughs) Worst excuse ever. I have to go to my dad's birthday party. Sorry. I'm sorry. I got to go to my dad's birthday party. Then we get... (laughs) Oh, Stephen's wife. Remember, one thing we missed was... Uh, um, Tara's great line, I don't do puddings. No, it's just more of her like rubbing it into Jane that Jane's some kind of fat cow. Yes. And and they do make her look really fat. Annabelle Apsian, the actress who plays Jane, is not a great big fat woman. No. At and all. They put they these big sweaters she, on her. but They imply that she's just packing it away, but she doesn't look like it. So... so 
Wait, I got to tell you something I found out about her. Okay. When I'm, my job as part of the prep for our episodes is I go through the actors list and I usually just pull it from IMDb and I, you know, do some Googling and read some articles and, you know, read some reviews of other performances that actors have done. And I try to find something interesting. And that interesting thing is usually related to their acting career. Yes. That's what I typically find. Usually. Usually. Unless they're royalty like Ponzi Bill. Right. Jeremy. Yes. From last episode. But Annabelle Apsian, uh, she's a great actress. She's in lots and lots of things, including Shameless. Yep. She's been in Shameless a few times now. But she's also a follower of this holistic body treatment movement called the Rosen Method. Okay. Uh, and she's like a co-founder Oh. Of this thing. And it's it's like a meditative, I don't know, Personal body, body treatment thingamabob system. Yes. Anyway, but in an interview, she said that the biggest benefit that she's got from it okay. is that she is able to move her boobs without moving the rest of her body. Now. And then she did it. There's footage. Those. That'll have to go in the show notes. And she's not doing like peck exercises. It's very weird. <laughs> Are there tassels involved? So, so now I'm thinking of her eating cheesecake, moving her boobs without touching them, with the rest of her body being still. It's just so, it's so strange. It's like a party trick. I can move my boobs without moving my body. Yeah, basically. Yeah. And it's like evidence that this Rosen method has been good for her. Ah. Uh. Good for her. So, so now you know about that. Good for her. <laughs> so who interrupts the snogging at the Queen's Arms but Barnaby? Coming out of the bathroom. Still zipping his fly. Still zipping his fly. There's two fly zipping scenes. There is. Yeah, there is. <laughs> so he interrupts the snogging. And then they go outside to meet the Flet- a Fletcher's Cross Rambling Association. Led by Zelda Frazier. Zelda is a great name. She's played by Delia Lindsay. And and the best thing I could find about her was that she was in this Hammer movie in 1970 called Scars of Dracula. Yeah, I saw that. And she's one of those hot tamale wearing something you can see right through kind of nightgown characters oh. in that movie. Oh, okay. She's beautiful. Oh, I'll have to, I'll have to this, find the, the poster and maybe a shot from that movie. In this, she is... Notes. A bossy, trudging rambler. Yes. <laughs> She's so excited. They have 107 signatures. It's not hard to imagine being excited about anything that's against Robert Cavendish because he's such an ass. I do understand. And Barnaby's like, oh, blah, 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 blah. I'm not even sign. from here. I'm not even from here. Cully's like, I'll sign it, whatever it is. Of course she will. Barnaby asks, who would want to walk across a mirror anyway? A mirror is a lake that is often more broad than it is deep. Like a swamp. Yes. Okay. It's a fancy British word for swamp. Yeah. (laughs) Which is why Zelda can fall in it later. Yes. And we're all kind of like, yay, boo, at the same time. (laughs) Cricket's all done, and Cavendish is the coach, so he talks about defeating Badger's Drift, who was who they were playing, and who knows how they defeated them 113 to... 14 with six chuckers and an extra googly. (laughs) 
<laughs> They're going to play Midsummer Worthy next week. And Charles, can I have a word? And this is where I realized it was Charles Jennings yeah. from uh, Death Shadow. Death Shadow. And he kicks him off the team and calls him a gutter snipe. Tells him he can keep score next week. You could keep score. Well, he says, I'm going to kick you off the team. And if you talk back to me, I'm going to fire you too. So now we know that Charles he, he works, there. works for Robert in some capacity. Now we move to another pitch, cricket pitch, which the first time I saw this a while ago, I got confused here. But we're on Midsummer Worthy's cricket pitch now. Yes. Troy has been recruited for the team by Ian Frazier from yeah. the cold open. Frazier. Troy's answered an ad. Yes. Because they need players. Well, you know. And apparently he's some kind of savant at, at cricket. He's quite good, apparently. I wonder if um, the actor is good at cricket. I don't know. I wasn't able to find any reference, but he, he does seem to have skill. Ian Fraser is certainly crazy, though. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're going to kill him. We're going to kill him. I mean, his team. I mean, in the game, maybe. <laughs> and he wears that hat. Is that like an Australian hat? I don't know. What is that hat? What is up with that hat? But he wears it like right down over his face and it gets real close to Troy. And I can just imagine and his it, breath is not good. It's kind of rattlesnake skinny. That's why I was kind of, it looked kind of Australian to me, but I don't know. I don't know. Off to the manor to creep town creeptastic. Because who do you hate more than the rich guy in the manor? The rich guy in the manor who collects Nazi stuff. Yeah, and gets a dagger for his birthday. Uh, she gives him an RLB dagger used at El Alamein. RLB stands for Reichschluffen Schlussenbund. <laughs> wow. Maybe you should have let me read that. <laughs> it's Reich, like the third right, Luft Schwarz. Bund. It's from the Wehrmacht. Yes. Yeah. Uh, official air raid protection group for the state, i.e. Nazis. Yeah. The the Wehrmacht were basically the German army. And Al Alamein is in Egypt. And he he gets lovey-dovey over the dagger. He does. He's, I don't have one of these. He's just like, he almost weeps. It's still got the little leather thing. And she, for all their strangeness, and there's problems with their relationship, he really loves her, and she really loves him. Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. Because she, she really wanted to get him a present that he really liked. And it. she knows him well enough to know he really what he doesn't already have. He likes his Nazi dagger. <laughs> he likes his Nazi dagger. We get the birthday cake. Mrs. Mrs. Wilson. Wilson brings out the birthday cake on a big silver platter. Yeah, and, and Jane. Jane cannot, like, she just jumps across the table and pushes her face. I got it. And lick my fingers between every slice. I thought you liked cheesecake. I like chocolate too. I like all of them. And then Stephen's like, God. And you go, what's wrong? He's, he's such he's an like, angsty teenager. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> oh. Oh. And this house is like a mausoleum. Look at us, man. We're just sitting here. Just a few of us at dinner. It's so sad. Well, there's a solution for that. Yes. Somebody could die. Well, no, they can move. They well, can yes. sell the house. Yes, we're off to Florida. We'll make you even sadder. Orlando. Orlando. <laughs> now, and then I just have this image of Robert Cavendish wearing Mickey ears, <laughs> which is just awesome. <laughs> and I, I have to draw attention to the... Most epic, gigantic, out of proportion, dried flower arrangement I have 
ever seen. Oh, I didn't even notice it. I will have to put oh, a picture in the notes. How could you not? It's clearer at the end when he's sitting at the table alone. It's yeah. right behind him. It's like a story tall. Mrs. Wilson could spend her whole career just dusting well, that thing. You know, when you have revenge to plan, you need stuff to keep you busy. Well, she's already the housekeeper for two houses. I think that's enough for her. I would think so. That flower, I, I can't, it's, I'm lost for words. It's that big. I, I did not notice it at all. I, don't, I will have to. Have I don't one. know how you can see anything else. <laughs> you have to like move it aside to see the actors at the table. I'm not giving you a loan, Stephen. No money for you. No. And then why does the dog start to bark? Yeah, because Charlie's outside the window. Yeah. The dog, I don't Kaiser. Really, I re, yeah. Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> whenever, whenever. Maybe like, we should just say Nazi instead of Robert. He shows Barnaby the Nazi stuff and Barnaby is just like, you know, we beat them. They were bad people. <laughs> Best campaign ever. Best campaign ever. And like, I was so, like, Barnaby's one second away to, to say, oh, well, they still lost. <laughs> Even Troy is like, I know what Nazis are and I know they're bad. So that's bad. <laughs> Next day, Tara goes for a walk. Kaiser, come here. Atum. Atum, Kaiser. <laughs> well, we see Stephen get up at 7.50 a.m. Yes. Uh, and leave Jane behind in her hideous plaid pajamas. Okay. Uh-huh. They sleep in so many clothes. It's just... <laughs> well, and that every effort is made Everybody to make Jane... Everybody should be like Troy and sleep with no top on at all. <laughs> every effort's made to make Jane look as frumpy as possible. She and those plaid pajamas are, are right fantastic. on. They are fantastic. I have to go to work, i.e. snog my hot girlfriend. On Sunday morning. Yes. Not even 8 o'clock yet. Yes. Yeah. So, Tara, and when Tara leaves with Kaiser, she says, I'll be back around 10 to yes. Mrs. Wilson. Yes. And Even though everybody later says she usually walks for an hour, clearly she's planning on a longer walk. Meanwhile, Cavendish is fondling his knife. Mmm, my knife. He's fingering his Nazi stuff. <laughs> <laughs> what? That's what it says in my notes. <laughs> It's not the first time. It's not the last time he does it either. He fingers his Nazi <laughs> stuff again later. We see Tara walking close to the quarry edge, and then she gets whacked with a cricket bat. Because Kaiser is a bad dog. Kaiser is a crap dog. She has to say his name at least like 50,000 times. And like, like our dog is a giant lump of English bulldog, but we at least go... Don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> so not only... Kaiser just takes off and is like, I'm off somewhere else. <laughs> not only does Kaiser not listen, obviously, and stay near, he's willing to growl at somebody at the window, but when somebody beats Tara to death with a cricket bat, he's like, okay, I'll go home. Yep. <laughs> well, I'll goof around for a was, couple of hours and then I'll go home. with Mrs. Beavis, too. Yeah. Well, he didn't like Miss Beavis, probably. So that's Sunday. So the, we get a, a death here. Yeah. And so how is Tara's dead body acting? We don't see much of her. We, we see do. one shot of her face. It's not bad. It's not bad. She doesn't breathe or blink or anything. Oh, she's on screen for like a split second. Well, yeah. It's very, very quick. She's been missing all night. So Troy and Barnaby show up the next morning, and Barnaby says he's not an easy man to deal with. Troy says that because yeah. Troy's already talked to him. And once. Barnaby has no patience for crap like this. No, 
None at all. No. He's not one of those cops who is like, you know, overly polite to people of a higher social station. Yeah. He doesn't care about that. And that's one of the things I like about him. And I got to tell you, the guy playing Cavendish here, what's his name again? Robert Hardy. He does some really good acting in this part. He's grief stricken. In the scene where they tell him that she's dead. Yeah. He's convincingly upset. Yeah, but unlike even, his daughter-in-law. But even before that, he he does some good acting. Yeah, it's about time you people showed up. What's your rank? He's clearly concerned because she she should have been back around ten the day before, and now it's Monday morning and she's still not home. And Kaiser, you know, goose stepped into the house <laughs> at like, noon the day noon before. The day before. <laughs> she's thirty-five. He's 60. Second wife. Yeah. Oh, look, I have Nazi stuff. <laughs> Is it any surprise he's divorced from his first wife? Yeah, it's not really <laughs> a surprise. And then Mrs. Wilson drops a plot point. Oh, my gosh. And this is one of many, but at least hers is on purpose. Yeah. She's like, no, she said she was going for a walk after I made her breakfast. No, she didn't. And she didn't really say anything else. Oh, wait, I think she said, let me think about where her body is. Where did I kill her again? Where did I kill her? Oh, yeah, the quarry. I think she said she was going to walk by the quarry, and that's the long and tall of it. Bading, bading, bading. Like, <laughs> are you paying attention? That's where her body is. Go find it. Go find it. I can't frame somebody Tell the else constable. if you don't find yes. it. Tell the constables with the white poles to poke there. Yes. You know, for a, a county that has one DCI, apparently, they have a lot of constables that just up. You're out of nowhere when there's a search. Poking around with sticks. They got a lot of white sticks. Oh, to be an extra on Midsummer and to be a constable, that would just be a dream. That would be so awesome. And when they're leaving Cavendish Hall, we get Troy's line of the episode. Yes. Because he sees Charles. And he accuses Charles of being a male prostitute or, in Troy's words, bum boy. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's that I fun thought, boy. I thought we had left, you know, Kronk Troy behind, but no. <laughs> He's back with the bum boy. Con. He's not sophisticated. So they find the body, and Toby has had a haircut. Thank God. And he's only in this episode for a little tiny little bit. Yeah. Says eight or more blows with the cricket bat. It's a true play. It's red on top and black on the bottom. So we've we've already had Robert Hardy, who was Cornelius Fudge in Harry Potter. We've had Imelda Staunton, who was Umbridge. And now we've got Toby Jones, who played the voice of Dobby. Yes. In the video game, too. Yes. It's a Harry Potter-a-thon. Yeah. So this is the second Toby episode of four. Yes. You know, what I remember this time watching that is that he's in Wayward Pines. Yes, he is. Do you remember watching Wayward Pines? He's in Wayward Pines. Yeah. A strange American television show about... A town that's isolated. A town that's isolated. He plays like the evil scientist overlord who's like engineering all the things that are weird. I still really like him. Well, certainly Detectorist. If you haven't watched Detectorist yet, what... Like, We've stop, already said stop yeah. <laughs> this podcast and go watch the detectors. It's really good. But I like the movie these in about the sound in the movies and how that kind of drives them in crazy a little bit. Oh yeah, I forget the name of that. I forget the name of it, but it's really good. Oh, he's I like been him. in a lot of things. He's a very good guy. He was in a Gomez music video where he plays a businessman who's afraid to go up an escalator. A Gomez? Yeah. Have you yeah. ever heard of Gomez? No. You'd like Gomez. Gomez is like 
on the Adams family. No, there's a band called Gomez. I have no. You'd like them. Never heard of that band. Yeah. Okay. Cavendish is upset. He does some really good acting here. Yeah. He's he just keeps saying sad. no over and over again. And that no changes every time he says it. Yeah. And it's really good. Because it's sort of in response to questions they're asking him and sort of just in denial of this nightmare that's happening to him. It's just good writing and good acting. Right then there. Jane walks in and she's like, what's happened? Have you found Tara? She's dead. Oh, okay. <laughs> Do you have a cake? She was killed with a bat. My husband has a bat. A bat just like that with his initials on it. Does this bat have initials on it? <laughs> that I got him for his birthday or right before the season. Meanwhile, Cavendish is like, is it a Nazi bat? <laughs> <laughs> I like Nazi bats the best. We joke about the stuff we Google when we're prepping for this show. As long as he's not fingering his Nazi bat. <laughs> and I tell you, I have looked up liquid nicotine dosages. I've looked up beheading by scimitar, all this stuff. The thing I was most nervous and like most eager to go into incognito mode in my browser was looking up Nazi stuff. It's just gross. I don't want it in my history. And, and that guy... As we said, he's a great actor. Yeah. He's probably a really nice guy. In the same way that, what's his name from Lewis? Fox. Yeah. Who played evil Nazi scum in Foil's War. Right. Must have just hated the words coming out of his mouth. Yeah. It's just, ugh. But it's shorthand for reprehensible. All they have to do yeah. is say, this guy, you know, reveres Nazi military tactics and it, it, he could be saving kittens and babies at the same time, and he's still it's, reprehensible. It's shorthand for bad guy. Yeah. So they go and um, talk to Steven. At his work, we finally find out that he's an interior designer. Now, have you seen his house? Because <laughs> well, it's in need of some interior design. He lives in a little cottage on his dad's estate. Basically, a, he lives in his dad's backyard. But still, he could have designed it a little nicer. Okay. The suit. He's wearing at work on Monday is all the evidence you need. It's a safari suit, a 1990s safari suit, and it's hideous. I'm off to Kenya. But it's not nearly as ugly as Christine Cooper's sweater. Oh, Christine Cooper. Did you notice that sweater? That is just, and she keeps moving it, and it makes it more noticeable. It's just hideous. My notes say her sweater is hideous, shredded, brain-like. Nubby. <laughs> I couldn't think of enough adjectives to describe just how nasty it is. So Stephen says, I was at work on Sunday morning, not snogging my hot girlfriend. Why does he keep his cricket bat in the downstairs loo? Well, you know, sometimes when a man is on the loo, <laughs> he needs to stroke his cricket bat. Who knows? I was like, is it right next to the front door? So it's like home defense. Is it a way to scratch your back when you're sitting on the toilet? I don't know. I, I don't understand. Maybe his googlies needed googling. <laughs> and he just he just says it like, oh, I keep that in the downstairs loop. Yeah, like everybody keeps it in there. And down. anybody could have obviously had access to it, I guess. Sure. People just come into my house all the time. To use the loo. <laughs> they leave and Mrs. Cooper comes out and spills the beans. Yeah. He wasn't at work on Sunday morning. All the invoices are up to date. We're yeah. born again, so we can't lie. <laughs> Except <laughs> about, about our stuff. creepy sex stuff and stealing coins. Yes. 
But that's that's different. That's different. And so Stephen calls Trish at the pub. Now I know Trish is young, and I know she hasn't been in the village long. Nope. And she hasn't worked at the pub very long. Nope. But when you answer the phone at the pub, you answer, Stephen. Queen's Arms. Stephen. Apparently, she just answers every call. Stephen. <laughs> she does not know how to answer the phone. And he calls Trish to plan the alibi. Yeah. And this is also where we learn that Charlie also works at the pub because he lives there. Exactly. Barnaby and Troy are there because Barnaby knows Troy is not telling him something. And the thing he's not telling him is that he's on the cricket team. He's on the Midsummer Worthy cricket team. Yeah. I should stop. Barbie's like, no, no, no keep no, no, playing. No, no. This is handy. This will get interesting. Playing. This is where um, shortly after, during after practice, Troy goes and has a, a beer with Ian and finds out he was the foreman. Yes. In the explosion that we saw at the beginning of the episode. You we, might have recognized him. I didn't recognize him. We also see... Midsummer Ramblers are going to do their walk on the 10th of July. Yeah. So now this is one chronology of the episode. Saturday is the first cricket game. Sunday is when Tara goes for her walk and gets killed. Right. And the next Thursday is the second cricket game. Right. That is one way to look at it. Opposed to that is the notion that the Cooper said that it was Whit Sunday which we've already established would be the last weekend or May. Yeah. Or the first weekend in June. But Zelda's posters about the ramble make it on July 10th, 11th? No, the walk is on the 10th, so 9th would be Wednesday, 8th would be Tuesday. This is riveting f- Ninth <laughs> 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 is Wednesday, 8th is Tuesday, 7th is Monday, 6th is is Sunday the 5th. So we can only guess that Whit Sunday is celebrated later in Fletcher's Cross. I, I guess. For some weirdness. Or some, Colin's really late getting the church ready. The, the months are really screwed up here. Or, you know, maybe they just assumed that the Barnabys were so ungodly that they wouldn't know oh, that Whit Sunday was like two months ago. But we know Barnaby knows his Bible. so He does. But they don't he know that. No, he would know. After Christina uh, goes out and talks to Barnaby and it says, you know, Stephen wasn't here on Sunday morning. She goes back in the office and she tells Stephen, well, he's buying my house. Well, he, he might be buying my house. But then she goes home. Yes. And talks to Colin. They're not interested in us. Colin tries to make her feel better. Because she's sure that the police are just pretending to investigate a murder because they're trying to entrap he's them. He's going to find out. And then we have the first creepy no. thing. Which is, you know, the ep- what you do in your marriage is your okay, business. We're not even there yet. But he calls her Flopsy. Flopsy. And the way he said it is just gross. And in that moment in which you're like, oh my God, that's the grossest thing ever. She turns to him. I need to be punished. I need to be punished. And he's like, I'll punish you. <laughs> I need to be hurt. I'll hurt you. And then right into the rough stuff. Hey, he destroys that hideous shirt. That's true. (laughs) He's good. I'm done with this sweater. (laughs) (laughs) No, he doesn't destroy her cardigan because she has it on again later. But he does destroy that awful peach ruffle shirt she has on underneath it. Man, it's, it's people older than me having sex. That's what it is. Yeah. Though, I don't know how old these people are when they made this episode. I I hate to tell you, honey. (laughs) (laughs) 
how to feel old in one easy step. Oh, Meanwhile, flopsy. Charlie's using a typewriter. Okay, yes. I'm we're getting gonna this use off a that type- icky topic. We're going <laughs> to use a typewriter and blur out the name of the typewriter so Mark has to watch the scene 16 times and still doesn't know what kind of typewriter it is. Which you wouldn't care about except you no, collect old it's a, typewriters. It's a modern typewriter. It has plastic keys. It's not what I'm interested in. But, <laughs> but still, it's even electric. I think it's an electric typewriter. Yeah. But the... But, you're but still they curious. have the worst. The type is all smudgy and yeah. everything. Somebody needs to clean those keys. Yes, I know. I want 500 pounds. Big money. Yep. Then Miss Bovazon is Bovazon on the scene again, and now she runs the en- agency. I wonder what happened. Hmm. She she says to Joyce, "Do you want to see this um, restored?" This converted post office, it's called Dunmailin. Dunmailin. <laughs> <laughs> Joyce totally doesn't get it. I don't but think it's she hilarious. gets it. Yeah. My note says hardy har. Because it's one of those, it's almost like one of those goofy names that um, old retired guys give their boat. You know, yep. so you put in all this effort to restore a post office and turn it into a home and you called it Dunmailin. It's just horrible. Hmm. Back at the cop shop, we find out Cavendish closed the quarry. It is Stephen's bat. He confirmed it. Oh, yeah, that's the that murder weapon. Oh, yeah, it's totally mine. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's usually in the loo. And we have a time of death and then we have country living. Yeah, we find out the quarry was closed nine years ago. The ad in Country Living for the Manor includes the following statement, an outstanding residential dairy and arable farm situated in the Vale of, and I couldn't read the rest of it. You're such a nerd. But it said it was like 75 minutes away from a London subway station. Yeah. And so the impression we get is that Robert has long decided to sell the estate because it's already in the magazine. Yeah. Yeah. Which you would assume that they would have had to have written that story like a month in advance so it could be in the magazine. Yes. Yeah. Let's go to Stephen's house. Yeah, Mrs. Wilson works there too because she's everywhere where it's convenient. Yes. Robert's selling the hall and moving to Orlando. And they, oh, okay. Let's talk about plot. Let's talk about what people are wearing, but let's talk about putting whipped cream in your coffee. <laughs> and she gives them like half an inch of coffee each. In first gigantic of all, mugs. In gigantic mugs. And then fills it with with whipped cream. Like, <sighs> like I'm surprised she didn't take a snort herself. <laughs> but that's not the most notable thing about that coffee oh, and cookies. We'll get there. No, she has magical cookies. She she does have magical bickies. Magical bickies. So there's a continuity error in the scene where Jane's talking. She gets three bickies out of the she container. She says maybe just one and grabs just three. One. And she's got a rectangular cookie that she dips in the whipped cream. Rectangle. Rectangle. Yes. And she licks the whipped cream off. Yes. And says something. And then the camera cuts to Barnaby. Who says something. Who responds. And then the camera cuts back to her. And she's holding a round biscuit. She's already snogged the first one. <laughs> Do you think? See, I'm I'm saying it's a continuity error. It's totally a continuity. And you're saying she inhaled one biscuit and has already dipped a second one in the time that it took Tom to take one sentence. Must eat more whipped cream. <laughs> Never mind that she licks it off and then puts the cookie back down. Oh, gosh. Jane, Jane, Jane. I really didn't like her. And then... We get to the part where, so... This is where we find out about Mrs. 
Emily Beavis. Yes. The former housekeeper who fell into the quarry 18 months ago. What? This is a total midsummer trope. This important murder or or death that happened a while ago, you're only telling me about halfway through the episode? They must not have a location database in in this county. Would, Would... Troy and Barnaby not have investigated this death? That's what I'm... I don't know if they would have investigated the death since it was so obviously chalked up to an accident. But still. But I would think that before they went out to the Cavendish's Hall the first time, they would have done a little background check. Yeah, I think. And said, wow, somebody died there just 18 months ago. Yeah. Tom probably would have remembered. I would think so. But, you know, she was just help, so maybe they didn't really, you know, maybe mention it to the cops very much. Speaking of jerks, Stephen returns. I lied about Sunday morning. We know. Let's keep that between us. <laughs> I was off snogging my girlfriend. Who's half my age. But she's only been here for a year, and she doesn't know anybody. She doesn't know anybody. He's so mean to Jane. And then Jane says, oh, yeah, you going to prison and me starting a whole new life. How terrible that would be. Excuse me while I make a cake. Then I like her. Because you know, she's not dumb. Nope. She's She's well aware of what's what's going going on. on. And she's not going to get in the way of whatever's happening. Nope. If he's guilty or if somebody's framing him, that's the worst thing I can imagine. But this is exactly like the last episode where the husband who is a jerk is also being framed. And was really innocent. Yeah. And Other than being a jerk. No, go, go, go ahead. Frame him. It's okay. Yeah. I got to tell you something about Patricia Smith, Trish, the young girlfriend. Okay. Zoe Hart is the actress who played her. Yeah, I tried to find her age. I couldn't find her age. You couldn't find her age because she only was an actor for about two years. She's now a Pilates master. Yes, I did see that, that she's a Pilates master now. Yeah, she owns her own studio. Well, congratulations. Go Zoe. So, and the problem is there's a character in some American show about Dixie in which there's a character named Zoe Hart. Oh, so it's hard and to so find it's her. it's hard to find her. Yeah. The Nazis out shooting skeet because, you know, guns. That's what you do when you're upset. Yep. Somebody was spying on us. And ugh, Beavis, what are you talking to her for? <laughs> talking about with her. Go talk to her sister in the village and waste more time. So then we know that Miss Beavis is the same Miss Beavis of the window breaking. Yes. And she's wonderful. She's like, oh, yeah, my sister. Yeah, oh, I didn't, nobody told you she died in the quarry. There was nothing suspicious about it. Nothing suspicious? Well, except the letter that she got. And? But nothing else. But, 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 well, there was the break-in at the same time that she died. But nothing suspicious. But, but nothing else. And you just wait for her to go, well, th- there was that letter that she wrote in her own blood next to her in the dirt. Or, or, or maybe she came back to me from the dead and told me that she was pushed. Like, but, but nothing suspicious. So this is a trope, <laughs> right? A total midsummer trope. The old lady who knows um, something that you have to drag out of her. They, and they say it's not really what it is. When everybody is very aware of what it is. And this is kind of the whole basis of the movie Hot Fuzz. Yeah. Because the whole idea of Hot Fuzz, and I'm going to spoil the movie a little bit here is that all these people keep dying in the village and it's just accidents yeah it's just accidents when it's clearly we have the lowest crime rate in the uk like 
uh, there's a person who gets decapitated. It was an accident. It's just an accident at a fet. So that that whole movie is definite midsummer referencing. I feel bad for anybody who's seen Hot Fuzz and who hasn't seen the Midsummer Murder kind of like British quaint mystery shows because they missed half the jokes. They, they missed half the jokes. Simon Pegg nails the quaint village British murder mystery in yep, that movie. Absolutely. To the point where we have a theory because he plays PC Angel in that in that Simon movie. Pegg's character. Yeah. Simon Pegg's character in Hot Fuzz is PC Angel and there is a PC Angel in Midsummer. We Absolutely think that's a reference. Yeah, I think so too. Absolutely. So nothing suspicious, just, you know, a break in and a letter and some stolen coins and, you know, ah, off the side of a cliff. Oh, uh, terrified of heights too. Yeah, yeah. And um, Kaiser pushed her. Yes. (laughs) The Nazi dog. (laughs) If you could only do that and bark at the same time, I'd be impressed. (laughs) At the pub, Trish... Trish is good with figures. She's good with... That's the long and the tall of it. He was there from 8.05 and 2 seconds to 11.20 and 32 seconds. And we were bonking because he doesn't love his wife. She doesn't understand him. Snog, snog, snog. He's going to leave her and marry me, even though I'm only 12 years old. I'm good with figures. That's the long and the tall of it. Yep. I'm not very tall. (laughs) They go to visit Colin Cooper at the museum. Which you're right. What is in this museum? Some old books on a table. Yeah, in a cl- in a case. Some cases. That apparently he's still interested in, even though he works there, because he's looking at them when no one else is there. Boy, it's a bustling museum, isn't it? He knew Emily be- Beavis, a friend of his, and he found the body. And now we find out how perverted these people are. Because we get the flashback yes. of the day that Emily Beavis died. And okay, so we see Emily Beavis for the first time. She and her sister, Doreen, could not look less alike. The only thing they, they have in common is they're little old ladies. I don't know if they shared a parent. <laughs> I don't know if they're in the same, like, animal kingdom. <laughs> Emily looks kind of like an orc. Kind sort of. of. <laughs> the distance between the bottom of her nose and her lip is like three feet. But she... <sighs> I don't want to be mean to her. She's, she's a just, cute she's a cute little old lady, but she's a cute little old lady in a completely different way than Doreen is a cute little old lady. I agree with okay? that. Okay. And she's trudging along, again, yelling at Kaiser because Kaiser the dog is crap. That's what walking Kaiser is, is walking and yelling Kaiser over Kaiser! and over again. <laughs> Kaiser sussy! <laughs> Maybe that's Robert Cavendish's way of like converting everybody around him to Nazism. Maybe. By making them yell German words Kaiser, Kaiser, at the dog. Kaiser. <laughs> and he should have named him Heil Hitler. Because <laughs> then Emily Beavis would have been marching around the quarry yelling, Heil Hitler! Heil Hitler! Maybe it would stop the bonking. <laughs> and Tara would be saying, Heil Hitler! Heil Hitler! Yeah, because meanwhile, the creepy coopers are down in the quarry. They like birds and meditating. The creepy coopers are in the quarry. (laughs) The creepy coopers in the quarry. They're in the quarry. Having sex with their clothes on. Now, there's nothing wrong with having sex. And if you choose to have sex in public in a place that you're not bothering other people, you know, it's your little red wagon. Boy, but I tell you, when it starts raining old ladies it kind of kills the mood well what i always love about this is colin 
hides her face. Yeah, he doesn't want her he to see. He doesn't want Christine to see. He's nice like He's that. He's nice. I think they genuinely do care about each yeah. other. They're just weird. But she's dead. But now it's raining. It's raining old ladies. Dead. Dead, oh! dead, dead, dead. The, so the, the stunt man, and I can confirm that it is a stunt man. Yes. Who plays Emily Beavis in that fall. <laughs> <laughs> does a great job. Yep. He's got a pinafore on and wellies and a cardigan and a little wig. Yep. And Beavis does a pretty good dead body for she, that. She's in a puddle and everything. Yep. With her big lip and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and she doesn't say Cornholio once. No. <laughs> <laughs> so Colin leaves and then it's a dressing down of Troy. Oh, Troy, you're so stupid. Yeah. The body came down in an arc. It's not a dive. She was jumped to push, and it's the same killer. Okay, Barnaby. Because there should be one of those scenes, like in Sherlock, where Sherlock is looking at something, and you get to see like the externalized version of his thought processes when he's measuring and seeing everything. Barnaby looks at the the cliff and looks oh, at the ground, yeah. and he looks at the cliff, and he looks at the ground, and his in his head there's a protractor, and it's measuring the angle no, at which Emily fell. You can't do that and dress down Troy at the same time. No, but I think Tom did it. Because he, he they, there should be like repeated a repeated loop of Emily. <laughs> Obviously, quite the arc. <laughs> <laughs> and she landed head down. Yep. So she either was pushed or she did a swan dive. Swan dive to land on her head. Yep. And she didn't like heights, so that wouldn't be what she would do. Cole gets off the bus now, as we mentioned before. It's not yet Thursday, so let's say it's Wednesday. No, uh, I think it's the day of the match, isn't it? No? Oh, yeah, it is. It might so be. So it's the, Thursday. Yeah, it is the day of the match. So, so she left Saturday or Sunday to go to London and live with Nico. Yeah. And now she's back. Because Nico's on tour and there's nothing to eat in the house or it stinks. or There's there, a leak. There's a leak in the house. She gave that live-in four days. Well, she's only home for a little bit. She didn't give it up. But I'm sorry. If you invite me to move to the big city to live with you... And two days later, you say, well, I'm leaving to go out of town. Yeah. I'm not going to be very happy with you. Why didn't you wait till after you were back? And Barnaby totally craps all over the country here. <laughs> Anything goes with the country, which looks a lot like Costin. Like, uh, what is the difference between Costin and the country? Especially when old vicars can, murderous old vicars can drive there on their bike for 20 minutes. Costin has buses and stores. Oh, he's a townie. Mark, you don't them. kill somebody just because they make you redundant. Yes, exactly. Unless it's in the country where country. anything goes. Anything goes. Off to the cricket pitch. Which th This scene is a really good scene. They do, there's a lot going on here, right? Frazier, oh no, this is not the cricket no, match we get yet. The, we get this the, is where uh, Frazier talks Ian about, and Troy. Yeah, ta yeah. mentions that it's, it was Matthew Draper who died and he had a wife and kids at home. And there was an investigation and everything was blamed on me. And he died for nothing because they closed the quarry two weeks later. Nine weeks later. Nine weeks. But again, so not only do we have the awesome Emily Beavis fall, we've got the stuntman playing Matthew Draper flying back from the explosion. Yes. In his seventh grade science goggles. Yes. But it's well done. It is. That's, that's two There's There stunts. is an explosion in this episode. Yeah, yeah. And it's not a little hut, like, later on. Later on, yeah. So Zelda has a meeting with the Ramblers, and there's someone in the back row. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm still not over that woman's hair. My hair is not perfect, okay? But I make an effort. 
You have the wonderful wom- hair. The woman in the back row of the Ramblers meeting made a lot of effort <laughs> to do something to her hair. Okay. Oh, start the episode. Fast forward to this meeting where <laughs> Zelda is on the stage. And then a lady gets up in the audience to ask a few clarifying questions about the ramble the next day. And behind her in the back row to her right is a woman with blonde tentacles. Tentacle hair. (laughs) Nubs. No, because tentacles, you could say, oh, they're crazy dreadlocks. And they might move then. They're not. It's like nubs all over her head. It's like. Hedgehog hair? No, it's not that much, but... It's like buns. Yeah, it's just horrible. But like six or eight buns. Sausages. It's like sausages. Yes. (laughs) Blonde hair sausages. (laughs) Kaiser comes out of nowhere and bites her hair. Mm, Blonde hair sausages. Sausage. Aryan sausage. It's clearly hair that took an effort. The ladies like her and the one gentleman that's there. Yeah, it's definitely a ladies ramble. Of course, when you actually see them rambling, it's more like a trudge. They're more like the yeah, Fletcher's Cross trudgers. It's right over here on this path that we're all following. Yep. This way on this path that we're following. Well, and this giant map I'm wearing around my neck like a lost child. <laughs> the Coopers called the police 40 minutes after they found Emily Beavis. Yeah, that's, that's pretty suspect. damning. Yep. They, they claim they got in their car and drove to town to call the police because, of course, they didn't have a cell phone, but they passed a lot of phones on the way. Yeah. And now we're at the pitch with the, the Fletcher's Cross versus Midsummer Worthy game. It's the big match. Now we're on Thursday, the 10th of July, the only date we can be sure of in this entire episode. Yeah. And what this tells us about uh, this cricket team is that these are um, uppity unemployed people who can play cricket at 2 o'clock on a Thursday afternoon. Even Troy needs to ask for time off. Yeah, but I guess we assume everybody else is just independently wealthy or something. So Mrs. Wilson's there, and she's like, Trish, Trish who? Well, you're stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, hi, lady, I hardly know. Oh, hello, young lady, I hardly know. We don't know each other. And meanwhile, Jane's like Cookie Monster. <laughs> this sandwich. Have a sandwich. Table. Nobody will rah, notice. Rah, 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 she rah, grabs rah, five, <laughs> crams them in her face. Okay. Now we've mentioned we don't know much about cricket. Okay, but we do know one thing: that there are eleven people on a team. Yes. Okay. So there are actually. So this is how it breaks down. Okay, there can be up to fifteen actual team members. Okay. But 11 people play in a match, unless you're playing with these weird, like, super specialized roles in which you can have a few people you trade out. Like They make this stuff up. Like in baseball, when you've got people who only bat but don't run. Yes. They they do have some roles like like that. that. But that only makes the team bigger. It doesn't make it smaller. So the the minimum size it has to be is? Is 11 because it's five to six batsmen, four to five bowlers, and one wicket keeper. Wicked. 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 Like a sticky wicket? Yes. Okay. Because there's those pins on top that need to fall off, but if they're sticky... If they might appear like they're glued on and you can't knock them off. Okay. That's a sticky wicket. Okay. I do remember that from when I was drunk in Jamaica. So Robert was 11. He's not there because he's he's upset. grieving his wife. Right. So we're down to 10. 10. Okay. But Colin's going to play. So we're back up to 11. Okay. 
But Charles has been kicked off the team, is now going to score keep. So we're back to 10. 10. So they really don't have enough people to make a team. No. But they play anyway. The truth of this episode is Midsummer Worthy should win by default. The truth is that there are not only magical cookies, but magical daggers. Oh, oh, the dagger. We'll get to that. Cavendish is at home, fingering his dagger again. He's fingering his Nazi stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Literally. He's got the drawer open, touching things with his finger. Ian Fraser arrives. Okay, so he's there at the pitch. Cavendish is at home with all his Nazi stuff. Yes. Mrs. Beavis has a shield, which is a... Trash can lid. Dustbin lid. Gives Barnaby the letter about dad's coin collection. Which Emily had asked Cooper, Colin Cooper, to help her value. Yeah. And isn't he nice? He did that for her. The walkers go on their walk, so they're out at Cavendish Estate. They're ramblers. They're rambling, sorry. Trudgers. Trudgers. There's a weird shot of the coin as it's flipped. Mm -hmm. It's a very weird shot. To, To decide who bats first. Troy bowls and bats, because we see him do that. Yep. And, and Charles rubs the ball score. on his crotch. Wow. Do you have an itch, dude? Like, do you need to take a it's moment? A, it's a close-up, too. It is. It is a lot of Troy crotch. It close could be up. a stunt crotch. It could be. Charles keeps score in the scorer's hut. Okay. Walker goes and gets a drink. Who is Walker? No, I have no idea what that line is. Steven goes to the cricket hut. Sees Mrs. Wilson and she gives him a cup of tea and says, can you take this to the scoring hut? But before that, Charles gets the count wrong. Yes. And the old lady goes in the drink. The walker goes in the drink. That's Uh, what my note is. See, if you put Rambler, you'd know. And they do that because the line has been cut. So let's follow the Nazi dagger. The, The rope that holds up that side of the rope bridge has been cut. And Robert has cut it. And he's, but he's like... <laughs> we don't know that he cut it with his Nazi dagger. We don't know, but we assume that he used the Nazi dagger because he was fingering it before. Just before. So, so we'll follow the Nazi dagger on the map. It goes from the Cavendish estate to, to the, the bridge. Yes. Okay, that's where it is now. To the scoring hut. To It's like no, Dora the Explorer. Wait, what? How did it get there? Nazi collection, rope bridge, scoring hut. <laughs> It's like Dora the Explorer. Yes. It somehow gets into Patricia's hands. Yes. There's a reference to Cluedo, which for our American people is Is Clue. Clue. Okay. And Cully makes some Cluedo reference to which all I could think about after that was what I have up here in my section on deaths of the episode, which is Charles the bum boy with the Nazi dagger in the scorekeeper's shed. Yeah, except he, I win. Except he gets killed with it. <laughs> but that's funny. It is. <laughs> except I don't really don't think there's a mystery about the Nazi dagger because I think there's a little time gap. And what convinces me most that we don't have an issue with the Nazi dagger is that Robert loves that dagger way too much to use it to cut the rope of a bridge. He wouldn't do it. Okay, it's but too Mrs. special. Mrs. What's her name's already at the place, and he was looking. Yeah, but but Trish isn't. We don't know where Trish uh, is. Yes, Trish is there too. She's at. She's in the. Um. She's in the the cricket pavilion. Yeah. But she says go put go put the water on on the urn. Trish goes into the kitchen, and then we don't know where she goes. Oh, it's... she could have run back to Cavendish Hall, grabbed the Nazi dagger, you're, and you're came back. You're doing mental gymnastics for a screw up they made. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, I think it's critical. Then show a scene where she's taking the dagger out of the... That somebody's taking the dagger out of the case. Well, I think they must have done it while Robert was out in the woods teeheeing over Zelda falling in the water. I bet you there's a cutting room floor scene of that yeah. that got cut. Yeah, I think there is too. I think they just kind of went, and she got it somehow anyway. Yeah. She uses it to kill Charles to further frame the Cavendishes. There's already a number of problems with this death. So the idea here is that Trish takes the Nazi dagger into the scorekeeper's hut. And as Charles reaches up to change the numbers, and they're killing him because they're blackmailing him. It's not really important. She stabs him in the back. Now, I'm not a doctor, or I don't play one on a podcast, okay? (laughs) But I have to assume that there might be some spray of blood at this point. I don't think so. I do. I think if you stab somebody in the back... Close enough to their heart or to their spine, either way, to kill them quickly, like it does, and you leave the knife in, I don't think there would be a lot of blood. I think it would seep out at the very least. I think it would seep out, but I think it would take some time, and though she pulls him against her in her white shirt to lower him down onto the floor, (laughs) she doesn't get close enough to him because the knife handle is between them. No, there there would be blood everywhere. She would be covered in blood. I don't think so. And she goes, I think he was asleep. Like, No, he wasn't asleep. No. So she grabs his sweater and his hat and then sits down at the counter pretending to be him and corrects the score because the score went up artificially because he was like, oh, after he got stabbed. Yeah. She screams. They find out he's got money in in his pocket. And then Troy, oh... Troy's interviewing Stephen, and he asks him the question, was your relationship of a sexual nature? Sexual. Sexual. He lawyers up, which is the smartest thing he does in this entire Mm -hmm. episode. Because the lawyer's going to be like, uh, they did it. (laughs) Yeah. So Stephen's taken the tea to the scoring hut because Mrs. Wilson didn't ask him to. No. Can you find somebody who might be convenient here and going back to the match, who might carry this cup of tea. Oh, you'll do it? Oh, thank you. If if Stephen said, no, woman, do it, it would all be different. Ask that girl you don't know to take it. Yes. (laughs) Even Barnaby says this is all too neat. Yeah. When they confront Trish after she finds the body and comes out and screams. I told you what he wanted me to tell you. He might have been there later or earlier, I don't know. Now we're off to the Coopers because there's some truth telling to be done here. Well, we got, we've got the blackmail letter in Stephen's cottage, yep. where obviously Mrs. Wilson, Wilson has planted it. We know that Charlie was the one outside the window at the birthday dinner, yep. staring into the window. We've got a little scene in the police station. Was the score miscalculation a message? Yeah. And why did Troy stick his finger and tongue out? But I got infatuated with the dry erase board behind Barnaby. There's a lot of numbers on there that I didn't know about. They're phone numbers. They are phone numbers? Yeah. One is Tim's phone number. Tim. Who apparently lives in Pontypool in Wales. Oh. There's also another. Let's call Tim. There's also another number for Slough, Slough, which is just west of London. Yes. Yeah. So it's a list of phone numbers. It's a good thing to have in the police station just up on the wall. Yeah. Random Tim. Bob, whatever. Plow. So then they go to the Cooper's house, which is named Portland Place, which is Portland Place is a famous road in London, by the way. There's a lot of like dukes and stuff who live on that road. Barnaby is here for the truth. That's it. They've got one chance to confess. You killed Beavis. 
<laughs> Cornelio. And Colin is like, no! <laughs> and then he goes, sweet Jesus! <laughs> Blasphemer. Well, they didn't kill her, but they did kind of let her die and yeah. then burgled her so while she was dying. She wasn't dead. She pointed up. There was somebody on top of the hill. And they snuck into her house. Who is like so clearly Mrs. Wilson when they show clearly her? Clearly Mrs. Wilson. It's her Wilson. in a hat. Yep. Barnaby is so mad at them. They stole her coins. They break into the house with no gloves on at all. They touch everything in that house. But they didn't think anything was stolen. Doreen it's, didn't notice anything okay. stolen, so they may not have fingerprinted everything. It's I just a little village think. break-in where nothing's stolen. Yes. I don't think they would have fingerprinted the but place. But that coin was worth 100,000 pounds. Yeah, so that was a Henry III gold penny. Yep. And the reason why those pennies are so rare, they were minted in 1257, and there were quite a few of them made at the time, but within a year, they realized that the gold they were minted it with was worth more than the coin was worth. Ah. So people who had them melted them down yep. right away. So yep. very few of them exist. Last year, one went for sale at Christie's, and it went for over half a million pounds. Damn. So they kind of got The Cooper should have waited. Yeah. I mean, in, in, what, 15, 20 years, it went up by 400%. And yeah. Mrs. Cooper's like, it, it was a thin. Yeah. Well, I'm a thinner. They stole 100,000 pounds off of a lady who was dying. Yep. Arrest him, Troy. Off to the clink. M- meanwhile, Mr. Eastman, Ian Eastman, from Death's Shadow, is in Morocco. Divorced. Divorced. Which is why Miss Beauvoisin. And she gives Barnaby the last clue, which is... The house is called Long, long Trees. Trees, and it's only been on sale for a short time. Yeah. And the long... <gasps> the and long and, short, and tall of it. The long and, and sh- tall short of it. Ha-ha! It wasn't until this moment that I realized that Zelda and Ian were married. <laughs> I was like... Oh, yeah. <laughs> Why is that man in her house being so mean to her? Somebody she, sabotaged the bridge. She is incredibly annoying. And he is just fed up with her. Well, I would be too. Can you imagine living with her going on and on and on? So they're driving out to the manor. Barnaby has this all figured out. And we get the scene where Mrs. Wilson is giving Robert Cavendish wine at the table. Now... We know Tom was supposed to meet Joyce at Long Trees with Miss Beauvoisin yes. at four o'clock. Four o'clock. So somehow Mrs. Wilson got Robert to sit down at the dining room table at four o'clock, like he's getting ready to have his dinner. By the way, I have a giant floral arrangement. It's huge. It blocks the whole window behind him. And Cavendish does a, such a good job acting here yeah. with the slurring. And he, he just does a great, he is the actor of the episode. Because she's put volume in the tea. Yep. In the um, wine, sorry. And Mrs. Wilson spells out their whole evil plan. Let me explain our evil plan. You killed my Matthew. He was my knight in shining armor. Troy almost kills Barnaby in him. Yeah, they're trying to pass that big truck. Did, did they not have a siren and lady lights on their car? I think Tom should have just leaned out the window and went, woo, woo. <laughs> <laughs> um, the makeup on Mrs. Wilson when they go to when she's young is really good. Yeah, it is good. That and the Ian Fraser makeup is really good. Yeah, they make them episode. both look convincingly younger. Absolutely. And then Trish comes in with crazy eyes. Crazy eyes. Yeah, and there's this weird dolly zoom with her. Yep. So she's holding this big silver serving platter with a dome cover. (laughs) 
and calling her because mom. dessert uh, uh, dinner is almost served. Mummy, mummy, he killed daddy. And Let me put my fingerprint all over this knife. And it's like a scene from The Shining. It's very weird. Because she's like moving but not moving. And then there's the scoring shed reenactment. I, I have a note that there will be blood everywhere on her. but Because Tom is, is explaining to Troy yes. what he's too dense to understand. Yes. And so this is a long way to go to frame Stephen. Like, I'm going to have an affair with you. Yeah. It's clear that Mrs. Wilson, who never has a first name, by the way. Nope. Has spent the last nine years twisting her daughter into a psychopath. Yes. Because she's allowed her daughter, who's what, 19 or 20? Something like that. Because she can't be more than 10 or so in the flashback with the fairy tale. And that was nine years ago. And it's nine years ago, yeah. Who now has moved, supposedly moved to the village just to arrange to have an affair with Stephen. And, and is having is having sex with Stephen. They're at least at the snog fest. Just to frame him. That's a long way to go. And... All to get back at Robert Cavendish. And until now, they didn't want to kill him. They just wanted to make him absolutely miserable. His wife is dead. His son's going to go to prison. And now he is going to commit suicide. And she could have totally just led him on the whole time. But it is well implied that they are bonking. Well, yeah. He goes to see her at eight o'clock in the morning on Sunday. Eight o'clock on a Sunday morning. He's not doing that to hold her hand. No. Cavendish is like, I paid. Yeah. And he, she goes to cut Cavendish's throat. No, and, his wrist. And his mom goes... Now, this would have sprayed blood The everywhere. mom says, no, make it look like a suicide. So she slits his wrist, which would have covered her with blood. Oh, yeah. That would have, that would have sprayed. But then he kind of recovers himself, and they wrestle, and she ends up with the knife in her, which kills her instantly. I'm sorry. Ah. A steak knife in your gut is not going to kill you instantly. it was like in her shoulder. It could, it could have been a heart hit. I thought it was like in her stomach. I thought it was a hard hit. So either way, she dies instantly. And then we're just done. Yep. That's the long and tall of it. So Barnaby explains why Miss Beauvoisin gave him the last clue. And this is my twisted mind. So it was because of the long and tall of it. They both use the same phrase. So they must be related somehow. Right. And I immediately thought about how the Unabomber was caught. Because he had patterns in his language. Yep, I'm a broken, broken person. <laughs> and and Joyce is like, fine, we'll live in Costin. Here's a whole bunch of listings for average, mundane, stupid houses that Good. you'll like. Here's even one a bunch of, above a butcher shop. I bet you'll love that one. I, I never want to go to the country again. Living in town is awesome. I'm just going <laughs> to say... Barnaby is right here. Tom is correct. As, as one of the things that um, struck us about this episode, it struck me about the episode uh, that I mentioned before we started recording, that the quarry in this episode, they, and they've got kind of a crane shot of it. Yep. It's so dinky. And so we live in Bloomington, Indiana, which is where the limestone for the Empire State Building was quarried. Yep. We know a quarry around here. And that is no quarry. And that is not a quarry. That is like a a hole in somebody's backyard. But I got to say, with this episode in totality, this is, again, a step up. In This second season is really from Bobo to Nutsy Bobo. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we we had, you know, Anna Massey's character. She was certainly psychotic. We've got the grief-driven psychotic priest. Yep. And now these two, these the two mother and just, daughter, 
They are loony. Fantastically loony. Yeah. Their plan is loony. The whole the killer, the the guy they're trying to stop is loony. Everybody is loony. Colin and Christine are loony. The Ian Frazier's loony. It's all loony and it's all awesome. I'm impressed with Mrs. Wilson that she knocks off Emily Beavis when it's raining old ladies and is so confident that she can take her place, that she will get hired to be the she new housekeeper. She just knows. Like, what if she doesn't get hired? It, none of this happens. Next thing you know, unsuspiciously, another old lady gets rained. Yeah. It's <laughs> raining old ladies in the quarry until Mrs. Wilson gets the job. I guess. <laughs> The Coopers are like, we can't have sex anywhere anymore. <laughs> I guess we'll have to go home. <sighs> Damn Nazi dog. <laughs> it's Kaiser's fault. Keeps luring the old ladies to the quarry pit. Okay. So, so that's Dead Man's Eleven. Dead Man's Eleven. Our next episode will be season two, episode four, Blood Will Out, which is the Traveler episode, which I again thought was like season seven, but actually it's not. Yeah. We get travelers, or the less PC term, gypsies. Gypsies. And the caravans. Yep. It's awesome. It's fantastic. And the Falklands War, so. Yeah. So thank you very much for listening, Maniacs. We went uh, a little long on this one, but uh, we'll do some edits. We had a great time. I think we laugh more in this episode than we ever have. Thank you so much for listening. It's your comments are great we we love to know that people are enjoying listening as much as we enjoy recording i'll tell you how pleased we are we're so pleased that our children are impressed with our podcast they think we're cool they they think that i showed my son the numbers and he was like whoa and they're 17 so they're hard to impress yeah they're very hard to impress <laughs> so thank you for making us kind of cool in our kids eyes excellent that's thank quite you. the Keep accomplishment uh our twitter feed is at midsummer maniacs our instagram feed is at midsummer maniacs uh our uh twitters are mine is at typewriter i'm at intelligirl and we're available on any podcast station that you choose to listen to us on. Please, if you're on iTunes, rate and review us because that goes a long way to placing us in the search and all sorts of yeah, other Yeah, it helps things. other people yeah. find it. So thank you very much and bye, Maniacs. Bye, Maniacs. of the Bornabies. The born again Bornaby. I was thinking the born identity. <laughs> the born bees. identity bees.